What does it mean, Messiah Matters? It means apart from him, we can do nothing. It means he is the way, the truth, and the life. Yeshua is the only way of salvation. He is everything. We have to have the Tanakh to know the Messiah. But we have to have the Messiah to know the Tanakh. Without Messiah, we have nothing. Basically, it's all about the Messiah. It's Wednesday, June 20th, 2018. This is Messiah Matters number 223. Feeling like summer is here, just ask my allergies. My name is Caleb Hay. And with me, a man who just realized he might have some grounding issues, Rob Anhoff. What up, Rob? How's it going, bro? Yeah. You know, they say if you're, if you're feeling ungrounded, you just take your shoes and socks off, go walk in the grass for a half hour. Right. I got to tell you. It's the static. We're talking about static for my mic. You know, sometimes it's, it gets staticky, so... Well, these are just little things that we learn and move on. I got to tell you, I'm a little disappointed. I thought I had my uh, my my uh, radio broadcast all figured out, and I just tried it, and it's not working. So I don't know what to do about that. Uh, so we are not broadcasting right now? We're broadcasting on YouTube. And uh, hello, everyone uh, in YouTube land. It's good to see you. And uh, YouTubers. YouTubers. Um, I suppose I could probably try to fix it on the fly real quick, but I don't know if I really want to do that or not. Let's this see. Is why we, we need a uh, we need an in house. This like, is why we need a sound guy. Yeah, exactly. Um, let's see here. I bet I could probably do it. How have you been, man? Been well. <laughs> well trying to yeah. Trying well. to you know get some exercise. Now the weather's nice. Get some good exercise every day outside, and get that old ticker pumping right all right let's see i'm going to test this now let's see if let's see if this works let's see if the people in radio land okay so the the people on the radio can hear me say something real quick check test 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 all right done there we go they did they missed the intro i'm sorry to everybody on the radio who missed our intro um but that's me working on the fly producer i put it on my linkedin page woohoo all right well, we got a good showing in the uh, chat room, and it's good to see everybody. Yes. And uh, man, it's been—you know—we got a lot of stuff to talk about. We should probably get get going on this. I, I love when this happens. Uh, this is, and our show is just now coming to a place when this is starting to happen on a regular basis. And that is, we have enough material that right now I can look at it and tell you it's two shows worth. So we already have next show pretty much planned out. Now that feels really good to me because I got a little room to breathe. You know what I mean? And, uh, this is like the, this is the first time in 223 shows. I mean, we've, we've been consistently, we've had enough for multiple shows in a row and that feels really good because the hardest part about uh, producing this show is not actually producing the show. The hardest part of producing this show is actually content because we want, we don't just want to get on here and, and, talk about nonsense the whole point is to get on here and and give people value and so you know it takes a lot of time and and planning to try to come up with with uh and research right that's probably the most the biggest uh time time thing that we have is is research so um yeah anyway uh okay i'm going to try to fix real quick one last thing i'm going to fix before we get going here uh i'm going to try to fix my video and i apologize to everyone this is going to be very quick you'll see a quick fade and there we go okay okay so let's get into it messiah matters is brought to you by torresource.com torresource is a source for all sorts of wonderful products and articles and everything and uh, there's a ton of free stuff go check it all out also our supporters i can't thank the people enough we've had a lot of people uh sign up to support uh messiah matters this week which is really great. We honestly 
Uh, I mean, it's very humbling. That's the one thing I can say. It's very humbling to, to think that people are getting enough value out of our show that uh, they feel uh, compelled to, to help support it. It is really, really a blessing. And, and so we are uh, we, we're we're just blessed beyond belief by that. And uh, so, yeah, if you'd like to uh, if you'd like to support Messiah Matters uh, for as little as five dollars a month, you can do that by going to tourresource.com. Click on well, hover over TR radio, go down to Messiah Matters. And on the right sidebar on that page, you'll see all sorts of information on how to do that. And of course, also for our summer months, we just hit the summer quarter, people, and that's uh, that's exciting. And so in our summer months, uh, you can sign up now to be a credited producer. And we actually have a credited uh, associate producer this this summer quarter so far. And he was an associate producer last time. And that person is uh, Mr. Gary Elkins. And so uh, our all of our summer shows are brought to you uh, our, by our associate producer as well, Gary Elkins. And for that, for Gary uh, being a, a uh, credited producer of the summer months, uh, not only did he receive his... Uh, associate producer mug. Very nice. But uh, we'd also like to send blessings to you, Gary. Blessings to you for being an associate producer. You know what? No one heard that on the radio. Only you and I heard that. Oh, that's too bad. How about on YouTube? They didn't hang, hear that. Either. Hang on just a sec. I got to remember what's uh, coming into here. Um, oh, host audio. That's why. System... Let me just check here. I want to make sure that I'm doing this right. System audio. Audition. Oh, okay. Well, hang on just a sec. Let's try this one more time. Sorry, everybody. This is a, this is what you get for having a the host also produce the show at the same time. And let me select this and select. Yeah, I, I wish I had like a topic for everyone to talk about. I just want to fix this real quick before we get into it. Here it is. Okay. And now let's see let's see if we can do it again. There we go. You've been blessed. All right. So hopefully everybody heard that. And uh yeah. Okay. Okay. So those are thank yous, and now we can move on to the important things. And one of the important things that uh, this was brought to my attention by none other than Mr. Van Hoff. Um, this is a poem written by John Piper. Yeah, this was shared, oh, I, by someone on our Facebook, and I'm sorry, I don't remember who shared it on uh, through one of our message systems. So anyway, thank you. There's there's anonymous a, uh, viewer uh, whose <laughs> name I can't uh, remember right now, but thank you very much for sharing this poem. It was written a few years ago, I think in 2012 or 2013. Right, and what and what Desiring God does, which is uh, which is uh, Piper's uh, ministry, he had uh, he had several people read different parts of this poem. Was, and I I mean it was well produced. Obviously, Desiring yeah. God is a multi million dollar ministry, and so they have the they have the uh, ability and the expertise to really make some some very nice videos. And what they did was they had uh, various uh, you know they had uh, Sinclair Ferguson, they had Alistair Begg, they had uh, R.C. Sproul, they had John Piper himself all read different portions of this poem, made it into a very nice production, and. Um, yeah, and so you can watch it and hear it, or you can just read it on that page. Now, I, I, think I encourage you to do both. I encourage people to watch it through and listen, and then go back and read it if you missed anything. I think that actually what we should do is, I, I know it's a little bit long, but I think we can do it quickly, probably under two minutes. I'm going to read the poem, and then we can, uh, then we can, oh, okay. we can give our, our, our thoughts on it. Uh, this is called The Calvinist by John Piper. See him on his knees, hear his constant pleas, heart of every aim, hallowed be your name. See him in the word, helpless, cool, unstirred, heaping on the pyre, heed until the fire. See him with his books, tree beside the brooks, drinking at the root till the branch bear fruit. See him with his pen, written line, and then, better thought preferred, deep from in the word. See him in the square, kept from subtle snare, unrelenting sleuth, on the scent of truth. See him on the street, seeking to entreat, meek and treasuring, 
Do you know my king? See him in, in dispute, firm and resolute, driven by the fame of his father's name. See him at his trade, done, the plan is made. Men will, uh, men will have his skills if the father wills. See him at his meal, praying now to feel. Thanks and be it graced, God in every taste. See him with his child, has he ever smiled? Such a smile before, pl uh, playing on the floor. See him with his wife, parable for life. In this sacred scene, she is heaven's queen. See him stray, he groans. One is true, he owns. What is left to me? Uh, fallibility. See him in lament. Should I no now repent? Yes, and then proclaim all is for my fame. See him worshiping. Watch the sinner sing. Spared the burning flood, only by the blood. See him on the shore, whence this ocean store, from your God above, thimbleful of love. See him now uh, asleep, watch the helpless reap, but no credit take, just as when awake. See him nearing death, listen to his breath, through the ebbing pain, finally whisper, gain. Final whisper, gain, yeah. Right. Now, when Rob mentioned this to me, he said that this uh, had a uh, depressing tone to it. I never said depressing. Oh, I'm sorry. What did you say? I said lonely. Lonely. I, I disagree. I, I actually think that this is a, I think it's a well-written, you know, he's, he's touching on every part of oh, life. I agree. It's well-written. I think it's a, I think it's a beautiful poem and it is, I believe it's well-written. There's, there's things that I, I think I have, I have criticisms of it though too. So um, but go ahead, share your share your thoughts. I mean, I, I think that he's just uh, touching on, you know, it seems like we come into um, we come into a, a person's life uh, midway through, uh, which I kind of take to be, um, you know, the time when this person accepts Christ. And and I see this because uh, uh, because he, he starts with see him on his knees. So, uh, you know, Giving right. to, you know, giving uh, uh, glory to God. Um, and Helen asks, why is this specific to Calvinism? Well, um, I think that... Uh, That's a great question that we should talk about. Uh, the, the basic answer to that is the sovereignty of God. And and I can just, if, if people have their... Um, uh, poem open, they can scroll, and you can look, for example, um, uh, driven by the fame of his father's name, but particularly, I don't know what stands it is, see him at his trade, done, the plan is made. Men will have his skills if the father wills. So this is a, a this stanza is anchoring human achievement to divine sovereignty, not to the will of men. Um, and then the next stanza, see him at his meal praying now to feel thanks and be it graced right. God in every taste. So be it graced is another uh, shout out <laughs> or a tie down, if you will, to God's will being the sovereign and be all end all uh, decider, decisive uh, uh, what am I looking for? A factor. Um, so those those are two. Uh, the other uh, two stanzas. Another, you know, see him stray, he groans. One is true, and so that's to me an echo of you know, let God be true, and all every man a liar in right. Romans. He owns what is left for me, fallibility. In other words, depravity as being one of the tulips, right? Is is this is the fallibility? Um, and so I, I think it needs to be said, you know, and we've tried to stress this before. We've talked about the doctrines of grace many, many different times on this show. And people, every time we talk about the doctrines of grace, which has also been uh, called Calvinism or uh, Tulip, those kind of things. Uh, every time we talk about it, people say, oh, why, I mean, why, you know, this isn't that important. I'm neither Calvinist or Arminian. You know, I don't I don't ascribe to either. Uh, that's not true. You, I'm a biblical. Guy. Yeah, I, I believe Bible in the Bible. I don't, but you know, and and uh, this shows either a misunderstanding of of what the uh, two sides the issues, are. Yeah, yeah. What, what are the, what uh, you can't you can't be neither. Um, you're either in 
you know, one of the many different camps in the doctrines of grace, or you're in one of the many different camps of the Arminian theology, Pelagianism, whatever you want to call it. Um, okay, so with that being... Well, here, could, I, could I say two more stanzas that I think are helpful for this? Sure, go. The last two stanzas, because there's a lot more I hope we talk about about it, but the last two stanzas, see him now asleep, watch the helpless reap. So the helpless is the person who's fallible, who uh, is absolutely dependent on God's grace, right? and that's the depravity. And then, but no credit take, just as when awake. That means that the person set forth here, the Calvinist kind of hero that, that is being painted by John Piper here, is a person who takes no credit for anything in their life. Right, that uh, for the for any blessing that comes from God, they don't take credit. And the very end, the punchline, and it's very powerful and moving. Um, uh, see him nearing death. Listen to his breath through the ebbing pain. Final whisper, gain. gain and it's right. what's particularly powerful and lovely about the video is that it is R.C. Sproul whose voice reads this last stanza. And we know that he went to be with the Lord just a couple months ago. Right. And so this idea, final whisper, gain. And this is core tenet is that the labors under Calvin, the Calvinist ideology or just the tulip, the idea is our labors in this world um, are for God's glory and we don't have gain until the world to come. So it's only in death that there is the gain. Right. There is no gain to be claimed. And so this, this ideal Calvinist here that we read about when we go through his little journey is not doing anything for his own name but for God and that there is no credit for this person. It is all that is either ordained or willed or graced from heaven and there is no gain and, and then only with death is there the true gain. And so this is... Uh, very, it's a, it's lovely. I, I, I hope I didn't call it depressing. I didn't mean that it's depressing. What I see it being is lonely, particularly. And um, to me, I think there are some things, and this could just be sharing a little bit of Piper's own journey. Um, a man of books, a man of learning, a man of, of, of worship, of evangelism, a man uh, anchored in, in, uh, the doctrines of grace and defending them, uh, a family man, a man who has had to, to, uh, lament and repent as we see, and a man who's at awe at the vastness of, of the creation, such as, you know, whence this ocean store, like, where does this ocean come from? Um, what is lacking here are, are two things in particular is fellowship, I don't see I any tone of fellowship. And this is something that I think is highlighted in what we would call the, quote, messianic world. Uh, you know, we have, by God's grace, equally been given a calendar that has Shabbats, it has right. feast days and times where Agreed. people get together and celebrate and sing and read scripture and discuss it and sit and meal, have meal. And they have brotherhood and koinonia. Havruta, right, in Aramaic. Uh, they have koinonia, that is fellowship uh, in Messiah, and there's joy there. And and so that's something that's absolutely absent here. And and my heart wonders, you know, I'm sad if if, if, if John Piper hasn't had a good taste of, of joyous fellowship, if he's been such a, a tip of the spear kind of minister, preaching and being the and being the person everybody's looking to all the time, rather than does does he sit down and have fellowship? That's so. I was nice to see the different voices because I know that John Piper loves these other men dearly, right? Um, and they're all leaders in their own right. And it could be, you know, that they're all kind of uh, had a, a time of loneliness. I'm not saying that loneliness is not part of our walk. Surely, the image of the tree drinking of waters, like from Psalm one that we see here, is that's a biblical image. But there is a fellowship that's lacking. Also, one other thing here. <laughs> There's no cage stage here. <laughs> That's true. Okay, hang on. It could I wanna... be the lament. It could be the lament and should <sighs> repent. I, I, I want <laughs> nice. 
I want to uh, just address a couple of things that uh, that uh, Andrew said in the in the chat room. Uh, he says, "Could you guys explain more why being neither Calvinist or Armenian is a cop out?" Um, and I'll touch on that in just a second. I wouldn't call it a cop out. It's just not true. You are one of the other, one or the other. You either fall on one side or the other. There's there's no way you can not be either, because and we'll talk about that in a second. The Bible doesn't tell us how to answer the question of whether a tree falling in the forest is also due to God's will. Uh, there might be some things that are simply in nature's course, but salvation history is all up to God. So the doctrines of grace, in my opinion, speak directly to soteriology. And one of the reasons that this is so very important is because the way that a teacher, and this goes for everyone, um, the way that a teacher views the doctrines of grace, or even if they don't view them, they will have opinions on, basically it will color what you, the rest of your theology, which is very interesting. The way that you think of God saving the elect uh, and how he does that seeps into every other facet. Sure. Another way, Caleb, maybe you could describe this is what your dad, you know, when he, in the his uh, introduction to philosophy, right, is the presuppositionalist. In other words, a, a teacher can be teaching the Bible, and they might not have challenged their own presuppositions. They might right. have a, a specific presupposition about God's sovereignty, or they might have a, a specific presupposition about free will. And they might have never gone and actually checked the foundations of their own viewpoint, but they'll be teaching as if their presupposition is, in fact, to be taken for granted, or is, in fact, right. the truth. Um, what the discussion does that gets you into talking about, well, what differentiates what we call the five points of Calvinism versus Arminianism is being willing to dig under the foundation and check the foundation of your own presuppositions about free will and about God's sovereignty and about the nature of, of Messiah's shed blood. Um, Now I'm not, I'm not trying to, this is not supposed to be a, uh, this is supposed to be a conversation particularly about, uh, uh, Piper's, about the poem, yeah. Poem. So we don't need to get back into, um, you know, the doctrines of grace at this point. However, uh, you know, to to speak again to uh, to Andrew's question, why, you know, why do you think saying you're neither is a cop out? It's not a cop out. That's not a cop out. It's just not a true statement, in my opinion. And the reason why is because you might say, well, I kind of believe both. Okay, um, that that might be true in your own eyes. But ultimately, when you come, when you dig deep into a person's belief of soteriology, you might even say, I don't know. Okay, now that would probably be the most valid of I'm neither. In other words, I don't know, I haven't been able to study it, or I don't have a solid yeah. uh, understanding of this. Yeah, that's a respect, this. I don't know is always a respectable answer. Right. Yeah. But, but, the, but the idea that, uh, you know, well, I'm neither... No, ultimately, uh, the scriptures say specific things, and as believers, we tend to take side on one aisle of the other. Now, within Arminian theology, and, and this is a this is a uh, a very specific. Oh, there's there's Philip, um, and and Philip might be right. I'm sorry, but this poem does not uh, apply just to Calvinism or Calvinist. That I'm sure that's true. Um, and the, actually what Philip's uh, highlighting here in this comment is that within Arminian theology and within Calvinistic theology, if we want to call it that, um, there's not one size fits all, right? I mean, within Calvinistic theology, you have all different flavors of, of what that means to different people. And the same goes for people within Arminian theology. Um, I I certainly don't want to debate this uh, this issue right now. Uh, we've done that in, in other uh, in other shows, and I'm sure we'll do it again. Um, and one of the reasons one of the reasons we touch on this a lot is because Rob and I tend to uh, we we hold to the doctrines of grace, and that is not the norm for Messianic Hebrew root Torah observant believers. Um, the the, the Messianic and Hebrew Roots movement kind of came out of the Charismatic movement, which is predominantly Arminian, Arminian in theology. And so therefore you have, a, I would say, probably 80 to, to 85 percent of the Messianic Hebrew Roots movement holds to Arminian theology. We therefore on, on the outside, we're, we're not the norm. 
Um, but the the thing that I have realized, my father told me this a very long time ago. He said, uh, you know, this theology for teachers basically uh, will seep into whatever side of the aisle they, they, they are on, it will seep into the rest of their theology. Now, I didn't take that to heart when he told me that, uh, you know, seven or eight years ago. But now that I've, uh, you know, seen a lot of different teachers and, and listened to a lot of different lectures and these kind of things, I'm starting to see exactly what he means. You know, and I could give you perfect examples of how this is, uh, you know, this is clearly coming from a Armenian perspective, or this is clearly, even if the person doesn't know it, you know, this is coming from a free will perspective, or this is coming from a predestination perspective, uh, those kind of things. So, um, all in all, I think the I think the poem is is uh, good. I think it uh, highlights a lot of, you know, you can tell the one thing that I think uh, Piper has done very well in his preaching and the way that he uh, conveys stuff is that he feels it, and you can you can see him feeling it. You know, he's very emotional about yeah, when he exactly. talks, um, and he has this he has this point when he really feels something where he emphasizes it, and his voice cracks a little bit. I mean, I wish I could replicate what he, you know, the way that he does this, because it's like putting an exclamation point in his, you know, in his preaching. And it's really very effective, I think. I think that's one of the reasons that he's, he's, uh, well, it's legit. So much. It's, it's, yeah, legit. it's legit. Exactly. It's not a, yeah, it's not like, uh, a, a play, right? It's, but, it, but that seeps through here, right? I mean, yeah. this seeps through oh, in, oh, in the, yeah. in the poem is that you can feel the emotion coming through, um, and whether or not, uh, if you, I think you're absolutely right that um, that the one th- I think the the huge mar- mark against this poem is that he doesn't say anything about fellowship and or community. Yeah, and and that could be though that could be kind of a a tendency in Calvinist strains, you know, le- uh, Calvinist leaders. Um, uh, I don't know, you know, and so. But yeah, I think the idea of the no credit take, the the um, if it be graced, you know, attributing everything to God's will um, is is uh, you know little tie downs to this doctrines of grace framework that is kind of informing his whole theological approach, right. Uh, Peter says, I look forward to a time when we don't use theological terms anymore. In first century, in the first century, they didn't seem to discuss scripture in this manner. I disagree with that. I think that uh, in the first century, they certainly. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. Yeshua says to the Sadducees, you don't know the scripture or the power of God. Right. Even though they, well, the Sadducees knew the Torah. They had the Torah. So um, why? Because the resurrection of the dead was a big deal. You know, for us, we're not arguing. None of us are arguing about whether the debtors raised or not. Right? right. So we're like we're like in the Pharisee kind of trajectory of things. We, we don't have any Sadducees among us. I don't think that are denying the resurrection of the dead. That would be silly. Right. Um, so the the issues have changed, but the the dynamic behind it. Um, well, I, I don't think he's saying the, theology in general, but the, but uh, theological terms. I think that we do have theological uh, terms coming forward in in the apostolic but scriptures. Give me though. an example. Maybe I misunderstood. Well, I mean, uh, even even uh, terms like Pharisee, Sadducee, the circumcised, right? I mean, they're they're putting labels yeah, on. Are, yeah. These are theological labels that they're putting they have on. Charge. They have charge. Oh yeah. Works of the law. That's a theologically charged. Uh, right, and yeah. they they're not the same as what we have today. You know, we might have something like Calvinist or doctrines of grace or Arminian or whatever, but the fact is, is that uh, you know they had the same kind of things in the in the first century for sure, especially right. the, o- objects of of contrast, of, right. uh, That we learn from and that we uh, we obtain discernment and differentiation by means of wrestling with with these ideas. Right. Okay, let's move on. Uh, let's go to Jessica's comment. And I think I'm not positive if this is the same Jessica, but I think it is. I think the Jessica is, uh, in the chat room with us. Um, she says, what about those Jews who have been believing slash hoping in the Messiah and waiting for him, not realizing Jesus was actually him. 
Many Jews despise the Christian Jesus, Yeshua, because the Christians don't look like Jesus, i.e. they eat pork, don't uh, keep Sabbath or the feast, etc. So how does their right faith in the Messiah concealed compare to the current reality of Messiah revealed, Yeshua, and does this have any impact on the millennial kingdom? Um, I don't think that they have right faith in the Messiah. So she's so if I remember, I recalling what she said here, they have right faith in the Messiah concealed. Right. So in other words, they believe they believe in a coming Messiah. In a coming Messiah. But there's a there's a major yeah. check against their. It's not right faith, in the in my opinion, and the reason why is because. If you ask a un, a non-believing uh, religious Jew, will the Messiah come and deal with your sin? The answer is no. The Messiah comes to reign on the throne and make things right on earth. But but our relationship, um, you know, Jessica says this question was from a long time ago. Yeah, it probably was. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, and 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 uh, actually, as we go on, and you know, I'm pulling comments now from uh, you know a month ago. Um, because we're, ca- we're catching up essentially. Um, but the, but, uh, the point is, is that, uh, I don't, I don't believe that if you, if you don't believe in Yeshua and you can say a Christian Messiah, you know, the Catholics, uh, put forward this Messiah. Well, you know what? People came to true faith during, uh, before the Reformation when the, when the Catholic church was essentially the only, the only, uh, uh pe- people of God that had the scriptures, right? I mean, they basically controlled the scriptures and yet you still have people who carried on true faith um, and people who truly believed, people who, uh, you know, one way or another got into the scriptures and saw the true Messiah, realized what was going on. And you had people converting from Judaism to, to, to true faith in Christ, not just to the Catholic Church. How did this happen? Well, this happens, once again, we get back to how are people saved. I believe it's because the Holy Spirit called them and brought them to himself. But the point is, is that, a Jew today, a, a non-believing religious Jew today, can pick up the scriptures, look in the scriptures, and read about the Messiah Yeshua, and see what he did, and understand that this is the awaited Messiah, and that he came and dealt with sin. That's where true faith comes from. You don't have to rely on the church to come to true saving faith. You don't have to rely on other believers. The The Messiah will, will bring whom he will bring to true faith. And so, you know, and we hear stories of this. We, I think I've told this story before on, on our show, but I'll tell it again. We got a letter from someone who was uh, ser- serving prison, prison time. I think they were in uh, somewhere in like a Muslim country or so, in, in Africa or something. I don't know. I don't know where they were, but they were, it was not first world. That's for sure. And they, uh, in, uh, in prison, they found in the garbage can, they were throwing something away. They found in the garbage can one of my dad's papers that had been wadded up and thrown in there. Somebody had downloaded it from the internet, printed it out, and they were done with it, and they threw it in the garbage. And this person started to read it and came to an understanding of Torah and came to, uh, you know, whether or not they already had faith in that, I don't know. But, you know, so they're writing my dad to say, thank you so much. I found this, you know, I found your article in the trash in prison. How does that happen? Is that random, you know? No, I think that God brings, you know, uses different means to bring people to himself. And so, um, you know, I don't think that you can say that a, a unbelieving Jewish person at the time, you know, God can do whatever he wants and bring people to himself. But an un, a non-believing Jew who doesn't uh, have faith in the, in the true Messiah Yeshua, um, I don't think that that's true faith. Rob, now, Paul? it's true that, and this gets back to terminology, um, and we have that. We've talked about the word Christian in the same way. Well, you know, the Mormons will come and say they're Christians. The Jehovah's right. Witness will come. And so it's like pretty soon a word is like, well, what does it really mean? And so that's why we have to then try to start differentiation with clarifying um, points that have to be made. Just like we're talking about Calvinism or what does it mean to be a Pharisee? Well, which kind of Pharisee are you? Or what kind of Sadducee are you, right? Or, you know, this kind of thing. So it's, a, it's the same here. You could say, oh, well, they have faith because it says they believe, right? I mean, even Rambam's 13 principles. Right. Right? I believe with perfect faith. Viviat 
Hamashiach, right? In the coming of the Messiah. Okay. Well, the, that's a tradition of man. And you could, I, so you can read those words from a, a position of Holy, Holy Spirit, um, new creation life, you know, and go, yeah, I believe in it. I, right. I can take the words that Rambam wrote here and I can say, yeah, I can sing that and uh, believe it. But the significance that it has within my world is not going to be the same significance that it has with, uh, I, let's say there's a ultra observant, you know, Orthodox Jew who um, is singing the same song or singing the same words, but has no clue of the gospel or who Yeshua is. So and this might get back a little bit to the idea of, you know, someone asked before if, if a Mormon wrote words to a song and I like the song and I sing the song, am I like breaking faith by, by singing it? You know, it, language is, a, there's a limitation to language. For any of you who are married for any length of time, you know, I always like to say, you know, I've been married for 20 some odd years and my wife and I born pretty much in the same, you know, a couple miles from each other, educated pretty much in the same system speak the same language, in other words, the same local dialect, and we we still can misunderstand each other. Right. After being together for a quarter of a century. So if that's true, how much more is it is it true that generally language has limits and we always have to take time to listen, to reiterate, what is it we mean? Oh, is that what you mean? No, no, I didn't mean that, I meant this. That's the nature of human communication. And the very fact that God, by his sovereignty, gave us the scriptures that had Hebrew, that had salt and peppered with a lot of different languages, Akkadian, Persian, uh, Sumerian, Egyptian, uh, Aramaic is in there, right? And then we have a Brit Hadashah, uh, you, know, uh, you know, the apostolic writings written predominantly in Greek, but it also has Latin, Aramaic, Hebrew, etc. in it. Right. Um, forces us to, when we see that command, love your neighbors yourself, that this has to extend to include language barriers and the patience to be committed to a relationship and understand that communication and being on the same page takes time. It takes patience. You have to be committed, right? You know, the reason people, marriages end in divorce, how often is because of uh, miscommunication. They're, they're not, they're, they're speaking two different languages. Even though they're right. both speaking lang- English, they're not listening to each other. They're not, they're each locked in their own story. That's not how we're to be. We're to be good listeners. And that means it has to transcend language, which means it has to be patient. It has to be super, super patient. And it has to have the right priorities of seeking to understand the other person and being willing to go through the feedback loop and the learning curve to accomplish that, that uh, unity of, of communication. And this is true in the world generally, so it's also going to be true with our understanding of the scriptures, that it's a lifetime growth. We might have a Bible verse that we think we understand, and we actually it nourishes us for a while, then we come back to it later, and we get a completely different kind of nourishment or understanding of it. The Bible hasn't budged, we're, but we're growing moving targets. And by the Spirit, we are fed and, and given understanding. We're taught what is right doctrine, etc. So someone who's outside of that, who's just, you know, they come from a different view. They don't, they haven't been shaped by discipleship to Yeshua. They haven't, they don't know what new life, your participation in the resurrection life of Messiah is. If they just have the words, oh, I believe in the coming Messiah, I can't just think to it myself, uh, oh, they, they believe in Messiah. They just don't know it. So they're so close, you know, I, to me, it's more complicated than that. Okay, so so uh, Jessica actually kind of uh, expand, like clarified her question, and and this is interesting because we talked about this in Messiah Matters more um, when my dad was on the show a couple weeks ago, um, and uh, so she says, was Abraham's faith in Yeshua of Yod at the time he believed and walked by faith? Uh, I guess that's my question. Israel put trust in Yod prior to Yeshua. Yeah, but Abraham longed to see my day and he saw it. In other words, Abraham believed in the Messiah 
and realized that the Messiah was coming to be the seed to bruise the head of the to crush the head of the serpent. And where did he do that? Where did the Messiah crush the head of the serpent? He did that at Calvary on the cross. And so, so Abraham through the through the gift of the Holy Spirit through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit looked forward and saw the coming of the Messiah and the dealing with sin and he believed in it he believed that the Messiah would deal with that sin this was the saving faith now he might not have known that Yeshua was going to hang on a cross he might not have known when he might not have known uh, you know any of the very specific details of this but he believed in God that the seed that came, that was going to come from the woman would deal with the serpent and that his sin would be d- dealt with. And Abraham believed and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. That's the point. And this is where we see the gospel. The gospel story is in your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And once again, we have this word seed that keeps getting sprinkled all the way through the, the Tanakh. And this is what is being focused on is that the seed of the woman now is coming through Abraham. And later on in, in Samuel, we see that uh, the seed is now going to come from David, right? And that it will be a king that will la- that will reign in eternity. So the story continues to, to, to grow in, in the uh, Tanakh. But this is the point. Okay, um, I, I think that we need to move on quickly here because uh, we're, we're coming down towards uh, the... Uh, no, the I do, okay, real quick. Jessica, I just saw... They follow a false god. I wouldn't say that. We need to use, because the, uh, the apostolic writings never place it that way. What we, what we learn from the apostolic writings is Paul says they have a zeal for God, right. but not according to knowledge. They are abiding in unbelief, is what it, that this is language used in the Epistle of Romans. Paul talks to him about himself, I think it's in First Timothy. He says, I was once uh, a blasphemer. Right, but I right. did it in ignorance and in unbelief. He's talking about his life as a, when he was a zealously persecuting uh, the ecclesia, as he talks about in Galatians one. So, the idea is not that it's a different Torah or not that it's a different God. He says you, in Galatians, "You who desire to be under the Torah, do you not hear the Torah?" So the idea is, look, there are there are. Uh, covenant promises that remain for Israel right. after the flesh, right? For flesh and blood, descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But the, so the image we need to use is we, we need to try to use, limit ourselves to the biblical uh, explanations of these things, is that, like Paul says, you know, I continue sorrow in my heart for Israel, that they would be saved. So the idea is not that Israel, has, that God has uh, abandoned Israel, he says, no, heaven forbid, that's not what's happened. But there is an enduring, the Lord is patient for some reason, he's tarrying, and the wrath of God is being revealed, right? And and, and salvation is in the gospel, right? That's right. the predicament we're in. And that um, we are not, I, to my belief, uh, we're never to judge someone who worships the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as being an idolater. Now, I, I need to qualify that because the prophets did, Ezekiel did, right? I mean, how many times did the prophets rail against Israel for idolatry? So, um, so, but but here's a, here's an idea. Let's say you have, uh, you take Shabbat observance. So you have, let's say, a, a Kabbalist Orthodox Jew who follows the the Lurianic Kabbalah with like receiving the Shabbat, let's say Arab Shabbat, certain kind of liturgical songs and, um, uh, you know, ritual that is done preparing for the Shabbat it, because they believe that they're doing what Isaac Luria taught. And he in fact was the reincarnation of, of, uh, Shimon Bar Yochai from the second century, etc. And in a way, greater than all the prophets prior. Okay, if that's the, if that's the consciousness of their observing an era of Shabbat, and then they're they're going to go maybe pray at the grave or something like that, I would say, yeah, I would say, yeah, that's idolatry. Idol, that's yeah. idolatry. Yeah. Or if, if that is, they've taken a commandment of God, observe the observe the Shabbat, and they've built such a tradition on it 
that the tradition is what they what are governed they wor- by. What they worship, yeah. Yeah, and, and that that tradition, and, and Yeshua says that. You've made, your, you've made void the commandment of God by uh, exalting your tradition. Okay, Yeshua doesn't call them, I don't think he calls them idolaters there, but the, the basic claim of, back to Isaiah 6, you know, that Yeshua cites often, you know, you know, I use parables, you know, seeing, you know, that seeing they won't see, hearing they won't hear, etc. The idea is that the people have become deaf, dumb, and blind like right. the idols, right, right that, that have eyes but don't see, that have ears but don't hear, that don't understand, right? So I, I, we want to be careful with the word idolatry, however, but, you know, it, it takes us right back to that sharp, right, the Word of God, Hebrews 4.12 divides between the the word of god and the traditions of man right okay um, so hang on wait we got we got it we got uh, this is a great conversation a great discussion but even the chat room is saying we need to move to romans 13 <laughs> because they, we were supposed to get there last week right and we didn't because we uh we get in these conversations this is exactly why we need to do a tour this is exactly why we need to do a tour because that way we can sit and chat for hours and, and uh, people can come and go as they please. Um, okay, let's move on. I agree with you, Rob. I think I think what you're saying is right about idolatry. Um, and this is something that we can, can bring up. Good question. A great question. Um, give us a call on our comment line, 253-465-3205, and do that to uh, let us know what you think and to give us more um, stuff to talk about. And also shoot us an email, resource.com. Okay, let's move on. This is really interesting. Last week, we were going to talk about Romans 13, 1 through 7. And we didn't get around to it. We uh, we, we went over on other topics, which is totally fine. That's the joy of ha- of being in control of a, a show is that we can, we can move stuff to next week or uh, the week after, whatever we want to. It's not a big deal. Um, but what's really interesting about this is that during the week, we had people in the U.S. government who now have quoted the Bible as yeah, saying. Yeah, that's why I, I asked Caleb. I said, Caleb, did, was it spurred by this whole thing going on with the immigrant? Uh, uh, you know how our government laws set up to handle immigrant families. You know, and um, but apparently, no. Apparently, the question was asked, and then this happened on a national scene. Right. We were going to talk about it first, and I'm actually glad that it got that we moved this discussion to today. And this doesn't have to be a long discussion at all. Um, this is actually, in my opinion, as so I'll give you kind of how I came. You know, my father has written uh, a commentary on the Book of Romans, and I've read different things on Romans, and I. I didn't know my father's opinion on this on this chapter. I read this chapter two weeks ago because I was in conversation with somebody, and um, the first thing I thought was, "Oh, I think I know what they're talking about." I think I like I think I know what what Paul is talking about here, and uh, then I went and did some research and come to find out my father had already basically come to the same conclusion. Um, so if you have my father's commentary on Romans, it's a great resource. Um, let's read Romans 13, 1 through, actually, I think I have 1 through 6 here, um, but this will be fine enough. Let's read it in here. And once again, so basically, you know, this this whole thing with immigration, we don't talk about politics on this show, but it was really interesting, this whole thing on, on immigration, you know, sparks up. And then somebody says, well, you know, it's the law of the land, and, and the Bible tells you that you're supposed to follow the government and do what the government says. And uh, I think that this is pretty much where this this uh, this government official was, was pointing people to, was Romans. 13. Let's read what it has to say. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good. And you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also 
pay taxes for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very day or this very thing rather. Um, so there's a couple of uh, really interesting points in here um, that people are going to bring up when they hear what my take on this was. My first take on this out of the gate was that this is not talking about the government. Um, and people are going to say, what are you talking about? Um, and so uh, I went and I read Mark Nanos on this. For those who don't know who Mark Nanos is, Mark Nanos is a, uh, he's not a believer. He is a, uh, a conservative uh, Jewish uh, scholar. And his, uh, his main focus is on Paul. And he, every year at, at the SBO. took him more as reform. But, is he reform? Well, yeah, you might be right. He, reform, that, that sounds right. Um, he, uh, he's, he always leads and always presents in the Paul section, which is one of the larger sections at the SBL. Um, and he's written some That's very... That's one where it's like the same seven people... Uh, right. rotate they all get papers it's a club it's it's i'm serious it's like a club it's you a know? club it, within a club yeah yeah and if and if you're not part of the club then you can't like i could never read a paper at the paul section at sbl because i'm not part of the club like you have to write a really good book like ep sanders jimmy dunn and and nanos are like those are the guys who present at, at the paul section at sbl anyway not the point so uh uh nanos wrote a book uh, a uh, book on the book of romans and uh, he's got some good things to say. I disagree with him on, on certain points of it. But uh, this is what he says about Romans 13, 1 through 7. He says, It is my contention that Paul's instruction in 13, 1 through 7 are not concerned with the state, empire, or any other such organization of secular government. His concern was rather to address the obligation of Christians, particularly Christian Gentiles associating with the synagogues of Rome for the practice of their new faith uh, to subordinate to subordinate themselves to the leaders of the synagogues as to the customary rules of behavior that had been developed in diaspora synagogues for defining the uh, appropriate behavior of righteous Gentiles seeking association with Jews and their God. Now, this is exactly what I thought when I first read this chapter. Uh, you know, a couple a, a couple weeks ago, I thought this, they're talking about the the leaders in community. They're, this is not about you know the governing uh, the governing rulers are are the people within community that have been set as leadership, and uh, Nanos takes this same view. Uh, well, I suppose I take the same view as him because uh, he wrote this long before I ever had any idea of this. Now, of course, um, Rob, you can jump in at any time, but there are going to be two main uh, objections to this: bearing the sword in verse four and taxes in verse six. Okay. So in verse four, it says, uh, but if you do wrong, be afraid for he does not bear the sword in vain. So what would that mean? Why would, why would a ruler of a synagogue or of a community yeah, bear well, the Nanos sword? Takes that, he takes that as a metaphor. Right. Right. He does. Right. Um, that, it, and, that the idea is, uh, did he literally have like a, uh, some sort of weapon, um, you know, I don't so know here's here, here's what my dad says. Uh, this is from his commentary uh, on Romans thirteen four. In the end, it seems to be most probable that by the phrase "bear the sword of Paul," but uh, bear the sword, Paul means to ascribe to the synagogue officials an authority backed by the Roman government. Uh, Yoder notes that the uh, that the sword was the symbol of ju judicial authority, like the pistol worn by a uh, traffic policeman or the sword uh, sword worn by a Swiss citizen officer. It was more a symbol of authority than a weapon. So my father takes the same view as Nanos on this, um, and this is not the only place, by the way, um, that we can we can see this. I think it's in Timothy as well that uh, that Paul talks about the officials. Um, so let's move then to uh, taxes in verse six. Um, and I'll just, uh, why reinvent the wheel? My father's done a fantastic job at writing on this. Uh, not only was submission to authorities necessary in areas of administration of punishment and thus the upholding of justice, but also for the gathering of the temple tax. The temple tax was essential for the maintenance and ongoing viability of the temple during Paul's day. There were those of the Pharisees, especially Galilean, as well as the Qumran society who, and I didn't, I don't know where the rest of my quote went. 
I apologize. I could probably find it. But the point is, is that basically you had people who were uh, who were uh, collecting the temple tax while the temple was still uh, standing. And of course, Paul's writing in the fifties, um, and right. and so the, the temple's still standing. And even in the di- diaspora, they were required to give the temple tax. And what Nanos suggests is that the Gentiles are saying, "I'm a Gentile." I'm in the diaspora. I don't owe the synagogue anything. I'm not giving the temple tax. And what Paul's doing here is saying, no, 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 no. If you get, if you're going to be part of the community, do what the community does. That means you you uh, you know do the customs of the community when you're there. You uh, you're under the authority of the people in leadership there, and you pay your temple tax. Yep. I think it's a reasonable interpretation. It's it's certainly plausible, and it's. If we accept that kind of interpretation, it's also bringing it to a very local, specific application, not obey your government always, right? Obviously, someone posted Daniel, uh, you know, uh, and it reminds me of in Daniel where the, you know, the guys got together and they made a law that Daniel couldn't uh, pray to Jerusalem or whatever, and he did anyway, right? So there's, so the point is not... Oh, you just become a drone. Uh, no, that's that's not what Paul's saying here. Um, it's it's a local situation, and the idea also is that it's a general policy to let people know that this is not about rebellion. Following Yeshua is not to everybody get their pitchforks and and torches and clubs and let's go stone and, some people. Yeah, ah, right. He's like. <laughs> He's like, no, you know, no, don't go there. You know, so I think that we don't know exactly, um, you know, all the nuances of, of what he's addressing here in, in this context, in the middle of the first century, you know, writing to Rome. But we know it doesn't mean uh, do whatever, you know, your government tells you to do. There's got to be a time, you know, they told Yeshua, you know. Yeshua couldn't lie, right? Yeshua couldn't pretend to be someone he wasn't. Right. Right? He could have easily just said, okay, or even in Acts, you know, stop preaching in Yeshua's name. They could have said, okay, okay, we won't do it anymore. We'll submit. No. Right. No, they were put in prison. How many times was Paul beaten, right, in in 2 Corinthians 11? Right. right? Stoned. Right. um, he accepted lashes. Yeah, I think it says five times he was he got thirty nine lashes, right? So he's he's on the line between look, I'm I'm not abandoning this community, but I'm not abandoning the message I have for this community either, right? So there's it's it's not a one size fits all rule here. The idea is there's an ongoing desire to seek truth and righteousness in our life at, at all times. And uh, so sometimes that puts us at odds against the governing situation. One, if I may, another way to, to approach this is to look at like Matthew, I think it's Matthew 8, with the centurion. Right. So the centurion who sees Yeshua, he says, look, I'm not even worthy you come under my roof. You just say the word, because I understand authority. And the word authority is what's used here, right? Uh, in Romans 12, uh, Romans, uh, yeah, 13 verse one, it's the word exousia, right? Uh, right. Obey. And it's not even the, it does not even definite article. It just says obey governing authorities, every soul, let every soul be subject, every psuche. Um, the idea is that we are designed to be in some sort of, uh, organizing hierarchy, right? And that's what the Roman centurion understood. He said, look, I, I receive orders, I give orders, I understand how this works. All you have to do, Yeshua, is say the word and it'll happen because I understand authority. And Yeshua says, this is faith. I haven't seen this faith even in Israel. So, uh, of course, there are, this guy would have had to keep, you know, orders if he was given some sort of order. But I believe that, like, if you take this centurion or the centurion, or, Cornelius, you know, in Acts chapter 10, these, these men were subject to military orders and things of that nature, but on the side of, of what they viewed as doing good, if, if they had ever received a command that was to do something evil, I would have to 
guess that Cornelius would go against it, right? Right. Cornelius wasn't going to violate God's law in his service to the Roman government. But at the same time, he's in a, we're in, and this is the situation of our world, even today. And, and Cornelius, Acts chapter 10, the temple's still standing. Here, the temple's gone right. in our day. But we're in a conundrum of mixed governmental powers in the world and um, limited um, ability to act. Um, so we have our ideals, we have our aims, right? Righteousness. And we, we seek righteousness in our life. We seek God's righteousness. But it doesn't always, things don't just go according to our plan, right? Right, right. So um, this idea of being, of that let every soul be subject is the idea that we need a discipline, disciplinary framework of uh, our network. We need to be plugged in to a, a situation of, it could be teachers, could be, um, you know, discipleship situation where we are uh, accountable rather than, oh, let's just create a mob and, and promote anarchy and we're just going to destroy and we'll do whatever we want and we're going to paste Yeshua's name on it. Right. Paul doesn't, isn't going to let people go there. So um, people in the chat room have asked what would be a, a good reference to read more about uh, these this thing. And honestly, I've, I've looked in uh, multiple commentaries. The best uh, place to find a concise working of this th- thought pattern in terms of uh, Romans 13, 1 through 7 being about uh, uh, community authorities and not about governmental authorities would be my father's commentary. And uh, I've posted a link in the chat. And for those who are not in the chat room, uh, you can also find that commentary by going to torahresource.com and then clicking on, uh, if you hover over store and go down to books and click on the books section, his commentary is a two-volume commentary on the book of Romans, and you can find it there. There's also product within that that has, uh, I think it's uh, something like 96 audio teachings uh, that you can find on our website from my father uh, who has preached through uh, Romans as well, uh, which is uh, very good. I, I'd recommend getting the, if you are low on funds, I'd recommend uh, saving up for the commentary first. It's a very good resource to have, especially uh, when, when you're studying the, the book of Romans. I use it often as a reference guide because um, I, I tend to be in Romans a lot. I mean, it's Paul's biggest work, right? So uh, it's referenced a lot by people in the church, which is great because it's a great book to study and so on and so forth. Anyway, um, yeah. Okay, well, um, I hope that this has been a conversation that's uh, benefited some people somewhere. Um, we always have fun. Rob and I always have a good time. And we love hearing from you guys, so keep the comments and the emails coming. You can comment on our YouTube uh, videos. You can do whatever you want to. You can send us an email or call our comment line, 253 465 3205. I'll give it to you one more time. Get your pen ready. It's 253-465-3205. Send us emails. C-H-E-G-G it's C-H-E-G-G at TorahResource.com. C-H-E-G at TorahResource.com. You know, we already have a uh, a, a good amount of stuff uh, ready for next week. Um, and we've had some really good comments come in. If you haven't heard us address your comments you can always send them again. We will always uh, look at them again uh, if we've missed something, but uh, you might hear us address it on next week's show. Anything else before uh, before we take off? I'm going to see Rob uh, in person. Actually, check this out, people. I know we've talked about uh, we've talked about coming on and doing a, a tour. Uh, Rob's coming over, uh, and he, he'll be staying at my house starting Friday night. He's going to be over here for a wedding. I told him to bring his guitar, and uh, I am going to get my cello all set up and everything, and uh, we're going to start practicing some songs for the mm tour. Now, what was it that we came up with? The uh, music... What was it? Music ministry? It's, it's just being silly. I don't it know. It is being music, silly. Messiah Matters music. Mm. Music more. on the move. Music. Music and more. Music, Music and more by Messiah Matters. Mm. That's that's the tour. Anyway, so we're going to uh we're gonna start playing some music together and getting some things ready. So now all we gotta do is pray 
that the Lord will uh, give us the uh, the cash to to get plane tickets and to set uh, set up meeting places um, so that we can come see everybody. It would be really nice to see and meet everybody in person in various places. We've had uh, requests from we've had somebody in Arizona say that we could come do it at their house, which would be very fun. Uh, we've had South Carolina, North Carolina, Georgia, Tennessee. Where else? Anywhere else? Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Yeah. The uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that would be mm, okay. Mm, okay. 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 Yeah. Yeah. All okay. right. Uh, so good times. Um, anyway, be in prayer about that. If uh, if everybody wants uh, to to do a tour, I think that that'd be fun. All right. Well, it's been a, a good time. We hope that uh, you've enjoyed it. That you've gained something from it. But most of all, that you've learned something uh, about the Word of God and about our great God and Savior, Yeshua, the Messiah. Why? Well, because there's only one thing that matters. Messiah matters. <laughs>